Warning. Core breach imminent. Critical failure in approximately 10 minutes. Where the hell are you, Lem? I'm here, I'm here. You sure you can fix this thing? It's a little late to be asking me that, boss. Ready. Look, if you run into any real trouble, just get out of there, okay? You know me, boss. I always run into trouble. God damn it. Lem, what are you seeing in there? Shouldn't be too bad, boss. Looks like a pop stabilizer. Give me two minutes to lock it down. Warning. Core transient detected. Critical failure in approximately three minutes. Lem! Just a second! Come on, you fucking shit can. Work with me. Core status. Stable. Resuming normal operation. Goddamn hot-headed... Boss? You're gonna want to take a look at this. Lem, no one comes in here, okay? No one. Counselor, it's Akari. We've got an issue down here. I... I think we're going to need some help. Welcome to World's Way, an actual play storytelling podcast. I'm your game master, John Ossip, and here with me today, uh, we've got Haley Daria. Hello. Lauren Woolbanks. Physically present. Thank you. Michael Morales. Hello. And Moshitara. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. So last episode, we just wrapped up the crew's sort of downtime after their first mission of the Minerva Project, and we're going to pick back up, I'm going to say two days uh, later after the end of that last episode. So before jumping into things, I just want uh, the kind of vibes only version from each of you of what you did um, with the rest of your time after arriving at Ascension. So sort of in these uh, intervening two days, kind of what were you up to? Just really, again, kind of vibes only. So, uh, Mike, maybe I'll start with you on this. Yeah. Arno's, uh, actually just been sort of reeling from, uh, the revelation that, uh, Mr. Saeed is part of, or was walking into the, uh, Aventine, uh, consulate. Yeah. And at this point, uh, just furiously trying to take notes and, uh, remember everything that happened on Consus, right? Um, cause yeah, all yeah. of this is still very odd. The thing, the question that sticks out 
in his mind is we had guns drawn on us when it was a former Republic officer and we were supposed to get a friendlier welcome from somebody who's, you know, yeah. they're welcome with or friendly with Aventine. Um, and that's definitely casting some suspicion right now over Shaw and, um, and Sasha green specifically, and sort of like wondering whether or not he can trust them and sort of gaming things out, like making preparations over here. Like, okay, what does this mean? Yeah. Um, Lauren, what about you? What's, uh, what's Mara been up to? Yeah. Um, Mara has not been stewing because she <laughs> believes that negative emotions can be better channeled towards positive results. And so I think that she's been kind of walking around the ship that's going to be her home for a while, uh, kind of uh, appreciating the um, design and architecture that went into it, maybe looking at places where well, something else maybe should have gone there. Did the military take stuff in, put stuff out, maybe just looking yeah. around um, and then uh, kind of uh, tinkering with any sensors or tools that um, she might utilize in the the upcoming missions. Awesome. Uh, Leela? So I think uh, especially after learning or kind of some of the conversations she had in the last episode, I think Leela's going to focus her time on um, just kind of just exploring ascension station not in a like oh let me go try all the restaurants or like meet a bunch of people but just kind of you know wandering the streets and kind of where people hang out and just kind of just really absorbing what life feels like um mm -hmm. here and then also like just taking in um because i think in the last um you know when we got to ascension station john you described ascension station as like being very visually just kind of like the views you get out of it and also like the way it's yeah. constructed. So I think she's just kind of admiring that as well. Awesome. And what about Nasir? Um, I have done two major things. Um, one is that I have been playing defense with the press uh, to sort of smooth over our rough initial point of contact with Ascension Station and like very much mm. trying to get our message that we are here to help out into the verge uh, and avoid like a consist situation. Like uh, it is my objective that like whenever we go to a colony, everyone knows who the four of us are and what we're there for, like including okay. like random soldiers. Um, and also to that effect, so that we're like better equipped in case of a consist scenario. I've been like reading up on the different colonies in the verge that have like sprung up or evolved and seen like how they've evolved since I left. Yeah. I, I think probably we just see like, on the screens in ascension maybe there's like news reports where we see like you giving the interview and then we see uh administrator leclerc kind of talking directly to the camera and, and endorsing the uh the work that the minerva project has done excellent excellent so um after those two days you all receive a message on your slates from shaw announcing that he has a mission for you and so i think we begin in the kind of improvised command center that I described on the second floor of the Minerva project headquarters and Shaw is standing a few feet in front of the sort of back wall of screens that was set up in this room. So before I jump into that though, I want to just get what is everyone's reaction to getting this first briefing. So just kind of um, our folks like looking nervous, excited, like just what's everyone kind of looking like here. I think Mara is just resolute. I think she is kind of like stone-faced. Um, she's going to be prepared 
this time for um, any sort of hostilities or um, spectral um, ships that uh, she might encounter. <laughs> gotcha. I think just matter of fact, uh, there was, I think Arno expected there's going to be a briefing and that's, this is just when I got called. Okay. And no kind of signs of visible outward signs of your increased suspicion or. I mean, part of the mission is investigating Shaw and this is an opportunity to talk to him without having to force the situation. So. Yeah. I think, uh, Leela is, uh, she's, she's letting down a little bit of the, the too cool for school, um, vibe and is just kind of going to be like genuinely interested in, and in wanting to, to know what's going on. Um, I am a combination of relieved to get the fuck off Ascension station, uh, and defiant because mm. I'm like, the Republic is doing good and we're going to go do yeah. good. So at this point, we see Shaw clicking through some images on the screen until he pulls up the map of a planetary system um, with a kind of blow up of one of the planets. And you see like off to the side of that, there's like a few lines of data that are too small to make out. Uh, but then Shaw sort of begins speaking and he says, Satis AB3, a third planet in an otherwise unremarkable binary system. Apart from its oceans, the land is largely rock, but well, it was still enough for life to find its way out there. According to Dr. Sen and the rest of the Brain Trust, Satis started losing its lustre a few months ago, but the trend seems to have slowed down or perhaps even stopped. We don't have anything concrete, but there have been a few rumors of unidentified ships. Locals mostly assumed this was Aventine. Now, a council on Satis is friendly to the Republic, and they've been looking for an excuse to bring in the Minerva Project, drum up support for a cooperation agreement in advance of the vote. But we just got a call that made things a little bit more urgent. The main settlement there is a city called Lindis, set alongside a river valley that holds a whole bunch of their lustra. Yesterday, it looks like someone tried to sabotage the main power reactor there, which also happens to run the pumps that keep the mines from flooding. So this point, it kind of pauses and allows for her questions. Um, this is me asking out of character to you, John. Mm-hmm. Has, has Arno been to Satis? Oh, I think prob- my guess is not, right? And the reason I say this is because I think that Satis was pretty friendly toward the Republic all the way through the war, right? Mm-hmm. So th- there wouldn't have been as much of a reason for, I think, Arno to go there. But, yeah, I mean, I'd kind of leave it to you, though. If you think you've been there, you can tell me that. Or we could, like, roll for it, I guess. No, no, no. I'm, but, I'm, I'm happy with uh, you ruling on that one. Also, yeah. John, I'd love to actually just state this now. I mm-hmm. think I don't know that I've been on any colony except potentially the one that is closest to Aventine, literally, yeah. which is Libera. But I don't know yeah. if that was a new colony. Like, I don't even know what level of development it would have had. But like, if it was possible to have visited it, that's the only one I could have even conceivably visited. In my yeah. head. And I kind of, I, I mean, I just had kind of assumed that Nasir had only been on Aventine just because you were there all the way through the war. And then works for me. Yeah. Works for me. I think Leela's gonna kind of jump in and just ask some questions about um, something like, so is there anyone suspected of doing the sabotage or is that 
uh, to be determined. Yeah, Shaw says, well, I said the council was on the Republic's side, but Sadis, let's just say it's a house divided. Folks on the council, uh, they seem to think that the separatists there might be behind this, trying to stir things up before the vote. They don't have anyone specific in mind, but they ask for our help trying to figure out who's behind this. As for me, though, I'm not sure that a scapegoat's going to help calm things down there. I'm going to pull out my slate and start scrolling through our files and ask, do we have access to any of the plans from the water systems around the mines? I'll see what I can find and send it over to you, but in addition to the reactor, just outside the city is a dam that holds back a reservoir standing above the valley in the mines. If there were going to be a second target, my money would be on that. How long do we have until uh, the flooding in the mine becomes a problem for civilians in the area? Fortunately, they were able to stop the flooding before it started. Uh, the reactor's still working as of now. If that failed or if something more catastrophic happened, though, um, things could get nasty there pretty quick. Well, in any case, should probably all head out, but what's happening there? Well, given the rumors about the ships, can't rule out that it's connected to the anomalies, so it's up to us to get to the bottom of it. At this point, he leads you to the, the four of you to the elevator and again takes you down to the lowest level um, in the hangar holding the Valiant. Um, and as you're walking off the elevator, Shaw says, you won't have Sasha with you this time, but after how you did on Consus, well, I think we're ready to kick off the training wheels. Whatever points you can score for the Republic down there, that's icing on the cake. But stay focused on the luster in the ship. That's the key to this whole mess. And as you reach the walkway um, that kind of extends out to the Valiant's airlock, Shaw says... Good luck out there, and... Oh, one more thing. Speaking of cake, there's a shop down there called Fobor. See if you can swing by and bring me back a box of Canelay. I used to be a regular there, back when we were working on the armistice, so just tell him I sent you. And Shaw kind of winks and then walks away, headed back to the elevator. So the four of you are now standing outside the along the ramp that leads up to the airlock on the top deck of the Valiant. I'll just start walking. As Arno starts walking away, any reason we can't leave right away? No, let's, let's do it. Excellent. And Nasir actually also <laughs> beelines with like, yeah. like past Arno. So you all kind of walk into this airlock and this is kind of on the side of the top deck of the ship. And as you sort of walk through the inside doors, and I think they're both open, given that you're in the the hangar on Ascension right now, you walk into a kind of open, I guess I'd call it kind of a, a hybrid between a ready room and a like foyer for the ship. So in the kind of center, there's a ramp that goes down to the one deck below and kind of straight ahead past you is a door that, to the bridge, which is also currently open. But as you kind of move forward into this this kind of open space, this extended hallway, you kind of see on the left side of this uh, area, there's like a piece of metal that's kind of propped up uh, on the side of the door to the bridge. And it's like tied down to the to the side. So kind of securing in place. 
and it's wrapped in some plastic sheeting. Uh, and it's a little hard to make uh, out through the wrapping, but you can make out that kind of running the long side of it, running vertically. There's some text in all capital letters and then something that looks like the etching of the flag of the Republic. But as you kind of walk there, you see through the open doors of the bridge, Allison Alba, the captain of the Valiant, notices you and kind of gestures for you to come into the bridge to to meet her. <laughs> no, I just walk right in. Okay. So you just go straight for the bridge? Yeah, I'll be there and offer a salute. Yeah, okay. She she sees that and returns the salute, and she is wearing the, the fleet uniform uh, right now. So as you walk into the bridge and i think she's standing in this kind of raised platform that we described in the middle of the bridge but she takes a step down returns the salute to you arno and and sort of turns to all four of you and says i know you've already been moving in but i guess this is your official welcome to the valiant welcome aboard uh thank you captain um how long until we take off we should be ready to go in in just a few minutes uh assuming there's nothing else you need before we leave I'm sure that you'll meet the rest of the crew in due time, but I'd like to introduce you now to Lieutenant Rye, my first officer and one of the pilots here on the Valiant. And Lieutenant Rye is already standing next to the pilot seat and gives you all a short nod. Um, she's wearing the fleet uniform along with a large pair of glasses with sort of transparent tan rims. She looks to be in her early 30s. Um, she has medium brown skin, a sort of warm smile, even without showing any teeth, uh, and also sort of masses of dark brown hair with the lightest hints of red tied back in a bun behind her head. And she's kind of looking at all of you, but then says, Ms. Bolova, Shaw mentioned to me that you also fly. Uh, always nice to meet a fellow pilot out here. Kind of nods specifically to you. Mm. I'm excited to be part of this mission and thrilled to uh, be on the ship. And she's going to kind of like pat the wall a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Just on the side of the bridge yeah. or. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Captain Alba nods and then also gestures to a console at the left side of the bridge. Um, and she says, and, and this is Lieutenant Davis, our chief navigator. Um, and the man there turns and, and nods at you all. He's also wearing the fleet uniform. He has dark brown skin, sort of permanently arched eyebrows and short hair that's cut through by a streak of gray on the left side, even though he still looks to be about the same age as Lieutenant Rye. I'm in love. Permanently arched, like in a constant state of surprise or permanently arched in a constant state of like disapproval. Sass. It's sass. It's kind of skepticism is what yeah. I would say. That's, that's what you get from it. I was gonna say it's the kind of disapproval that leaves you with daddy issues. I guess so. Maybe. Okay. <laughs> no, wait, um, no, no. Leaves you with or triggers your. <laughs> either. <laughs> All right, I'm not. I'm gonna leave that to each of you to decide. But uh, either way, he says, "Welcome aboard the the Valiant." We've heard a lot about you for, uh, and just kind of nods. Um, so at this point, Alba kind of moves the four of you to the back of the bridge just by kind of like walking herself, um, and she begins to speak a little more quietly, sort of just to the four of you. Our orders are to get you to where you need to go, and if there's something you need for the mission, I will do my best to accommodate that within reason. At the end of the day, however, my responsibility here is for the safety of this ship and its crew. And on that, I have the final word. As long as we're clear on that, I think we're going to get along well. After your quarters, you can find the wardroom. Feel free to get set up in there until we're underway. 
Anything else you need before then? No. All right. Thank you very much. That'll be all. I think like before everyone disperses, uh, I think Leela's just going to kind of say might might be a good idea for us to do a debrief or perhaps a planning session before we get to where we're going. How do you all feel about meeting up in the wardroom later today and starting to dig into some of the details on this mission? A wonderful idea, Miss Malik. Sure. Agreed. So do you all go to your quarters now or what are you doing while the while the Valiant takes off? Yeah, no, I'm still making a V-line for the for my quarters. I'm standing in the bridge. Okay. Yeah, I think I'll I'll go to the bridge as well. So I think we see everybody on the bridge kind of getting the ship ready and eventually the ship kind of comes to life and lowers down kind of as the hangar floor falls down toward the outside of the ring of of Ascension Station. And as it kind of pulls away and as the ring kind of grows smaller and smaller into a dot in the distance, we get that same kind of feeling in your gut that we discussed where the contramatter drive, the kind of faster than light travel system on the ship kicks in. And then the stars in the screen kind of around the out the windscreen kind of stretch and everything around the ship is surrounded in this blue glow. So I think we kind of cut away at this point in advance to you all meeting in the wardroom. So the focus of the room is uh, a kind of the central focus of the room is a kind of table, which is slightly curved to follow the back wall and can seat maybe eight to the sides of the door. There are some sort of cabinets with storage and probably supplies to make coffee or other drinks. And just to the right of the door when you walk in is a large globe on a stand on the floor. But instead of showing the surface of the earth or some other planet, the globe is the, the kind of surface of this globe is a display that currently is showing the stars of the verge. What are y'all doing in the in the word room when we cut there? I think I am is there like a screen or a tablet where I can pull up essentially the water systems? Uh, yeah, I think I think you probably have like a slate, like a, a large slate that's in front of you and that you you already have pulled up the kind of design of the the water systems there and you see the sort of dam that Shaw described that's kind of diverting the river that used to flow in this valley into a canal that flows through Lindis, the main city on this planet, and also a sort of intricate pumping system that's keeping water from pooling into the valley where this mine is. I think in addition to sort of the slate, if I'm wearing like a set of glasses, essentially, that sort of they glow like a little blue and I'm oh, sort of like flicking my fingers through the air and nobody can really, you can't really see it from the other side, but like for me, it's the equivalent of like seeing a hologram. They're just sort of projected yeah, yeah. on lenses. Oh, that's cool. This is a uh, Apple glass for a uh, version. Like I wanted to avoid yeah. the brand, but yeah. <laughs> Pineapple. Glass. Well, well, can we, can we get a little more description of what the, like, I don't think Nasir is the kind of guy who's just going to choose the most generic, you know, pair of pair of glasses there so like i regret this the glasses themselves are like a very sleek frame all black uh and they're like almost like narrow like like barely a lens uh so that like he can like sort of peek beneath them and like look out into the room but when he like looks up into them it's like manipulating what look like holograms Mm. yeah i think that um mara walks over 
um, and sees Nasir and knows generally that he's a uh, so, like some sort of water specialist engineer, right? And I think she goes, so what does your expertise tell us about this situation? And she's actually going to flip out her little version of Apple Glass, which is like three versions of Hedda his. So it's actually okay. just like <laughs> one small like tube she puts behind her ear and she touches it. And like a glass just pops out of nowhere and like floats in front of her eyes. <laughs> uh, fuck, <laughs> that's so cool. Um, so I am what I'm specifically looking for. Then, as I look through this, is like uh-huh. probably two major points of information, right? Which is like one, if the system failed, mm-hmm. what would the outcomes be? How like how quickly and how catastrophic would the outcomes be? How quick and mm-hmm. catastrophic. Okay. And like number two, are there additional access points uh, to this reactor that like we should consider if somebody attempted to sabotage it? Like because mm-hmm. it might still be in danger. Yeah. Okay. I think go ahead and roll share expertise then. Oh shit. That's plus calculating. Calculating. Okay. Six. Oof. Oof. That's a mm. fail. Okay. That's experience. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So what I, I think you do, and I'm going to just kind of hijack a little bit of narrative control Nasir to, to make this happen. Okay. So I apologize for that in advance, but I think you are like kind of looking and trying to study the plans to give an answer to Mara's question. Okay. And you stand up and you go to kind of like, is there some kind of like beverage or something that Nasir would be like would make while you're kind of trying to figure this out? Uh, I would be making like a pour over like of coffee. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. Okay. That works for me. So I think, I think you go to the side of the room and you go to make the pour over and maybe it's like, Oh, so, like things are like flicking in your glass and you don't look and you go in and pour the hot water on your hand. Right. So, yeah, take one harm, I think, is what you can do with that. But the other thing that happens is you all, like, hear an audible voice say, be careful, that's very hot, coming through the speakers in the room. Um, I think I, I will speak for Leela and say she's going to do a double take. I will whip around, still carrying the pot of hot water. Okay. Uh... And like, like, sort of shift my head back and forth, like looking for the source of the voice. Um, you, I mean, you don't see anything; you just hear that. Is the is this is the source? Does the the voice sound like it came from a human? It no, I mean, it, it sounds like it's like a a sort of like computer voice, right? Was anyone told that there was a virtual intelligence on board? Not uncommon for vehicles like this. Computer, can you tell us the points of potential caution in this room? Primarily the hot beverages located toward the front of the room. Thank you. I'd prefer to address you by whatever you prefer. Do you have a a name? You can refer to me as Cassandra. Great. Thank you, Cassandra. I'm going to continue making my pour over. (laughs) Okay. So I I think at that point she kind of just goes quiet. But is anyone else engaging with her at all? No, but Arna's uh, taking a note. Just like, Cassandra. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Cassandra, are are you 
present throughout the ship or only in these quarters? I'm a voice interface system installed throughout the Valiant's onboard systems, but I can also interact with the crew using their slates or vac suits, provided that they maintain an active comms link with the ship. Cassandra, do you maintain audio and video logs? I can, but this can be disabled on request. Cassandra, how long do you store audio and video logs for? Audio and video logs are maintained for up to 30 days. Locally or remotely? All recordings are stored locally on board the ship. Cassandra, who has access to your logs? All right, we have we have this straight up like <laughs> GDPR uh, Arno yeah. over here, like HIPAA police. <laughs> yeah. He wants to know if Cassandra's watched him do the freaky shit. <laughs> Cassandra, do you have any audio recordings of any member of the ship singing in the shower? <laughs> recordings are only made when crew members interact with my systems. Excellent. Any other concerns, Lieutenant Hines? I still haven't had my last question answered. Access to these logs is restricted to command personnel. Thank you, Cassandra. Of course. Cassandra, can I ask that you refrain from recording any of the conversations we have in your in this room today? Absolutely. Though I will always continue to monitor the safety of essential systems. Of course, we would expect nothing less. Uh, I think you hear kind of like bloop as like a sort of computer sound as she like deactivates. Okay. Um. So did we actually get? Um. Did did um. Did Nasir get the answers that he was trying? Well, to he get? failed. He failed that okay. role. Yeah. So I I I think, I think that essentially you just get the information that Shaw gave, and that's that one of the main systems to worry about is the pump system and this reactor that's powering it. And I think he said it would be pretty bad if that got taken out. And then the other thing is the dam itself that's kind of keeping water from flooding into the valley. Okay. Um, so I think Leela's going to turn to Arno and look at him and just say, Arno, as the resident military expert, do you have an analysis of the situation we're walking into? Without seeing... The damage up close it's hard to say who the the actors are here okay so we'll need to get you access to inspect up close the physical damage we need to get nasir in to understand the water systems in more detail if we believe they're involved are there any other points of inquiry we need to plan for i want to know more about this house divided on on world i concur with lieutenant hines any major concerns dr belova I think Mara's just kind of looking at, uh, like, the dam and kind of, you know, using her interface and thinking about all the people that can be hurt if the dam breaks or yeah. even if something catastrophic doesn't happen, but the water, like, systems are befouled in a way that they can't water their crops or keep people safe. So I think she's like distracted and she comes out of it and she's like, oh, um, n nothing in particular. It's, um, it's, it's a hazy situation from where I stand right now. So I, th I think we kind of cut away and can, and I want to turn it over to you all. Are there any scenes or wh what's everyone kind of up to during the remaining, you know, I think the trip to, from Ascension to Satis is going to take a little over two days. 
Um, so there's kind of time to rest again during the trip, but zone up to anything in particular to kind of spend their time traveling on the Valiant. I, I think uh, Leela is going to want kind of a solo moment at some point. Um, while okay. she, of like contemplation while she's in her quarters. Arda yeah. might wander around a bit. Okay. I think I'm actually going to try to track down Mara in the galley. Okay. So I, I think let's do, maybe let's start with Mike and do that. And then, and then we kind of jump around a bit. So Mike, you're, if you're wandering around, what are you kind of looking for? Arna's taking notes. Nothing surprising here. Just observations about the ship, the decks, what rooms are where trying to orient himself more than anything else and collect as much information as possible and sort of create a checklist of um, loose ends here. Um, okay. I don't think it, I, I think it's going to be a while till Arna feels comfortable in the Valiant. Mm-hmm. Uh, and part of his routine here is scoping out the facilities, then scoping out the people. At some point he might make his way to the bridge or the mess, but for now he's just walking aimlessly. Okay. And I guess that my question is, is there anything like particular that you're trying to, to figure out in this wandering or like, uh, you know, I'm trying to uh, like anything that you would roll for or what are you kind of trying yeah, to figure I'm out? Really sorry that I said that I was wandering around because uh, narratively <laughs> there wasn't anything I was trying to go for here, like a revelation yeah. about the ship. It's really just Arno surveying the ship and then is going to at some point make a route back to his room. Um, he might retread lost ground to get a sense of the timing that it takes to get from any one place to any other place in the ship. So to some folks, it might look confusing, like he's going back and forth a lot. But for Arno, it's I need to plan a route. Oh, okay, interesting. I think maybe like this will be like the cameras following you around and we're seeing some of the ship. Hmm. So I, I think the top deck where the bridge is and where your quarters are is relatively small compared to the rest of the ship, right? It's just kind yeah. of like, you know, you can almost think of it like airplane fuselage where you have your rooms off to the sides and a kind of central hallway the back has the wardrobe and then the front has the the bridge. Mm. But if you go down a deck into the kind of crew deck, I, most of the length of the deck is taken up by crew quarters. But the front is this kind of mess or galley and in the back is a, a, a sort of larger open space that is the kind of rec room for the crew or it has a bunch of sort of sitting areas, uh, other kind of stuff to pass the time during these long interstellar trips. And then the below that is the kind of deck with the engineering and systems. So I think we kind of just get a couple shots of you like wandering through these places and sort of I think um, at some taking point, notes. Like, I think at some point the place Arno wants to end up is the galley. Um, okay. Seeing this here, uh, drinking his coffee, uh, sort of reminded Arno that he hasn't had a drink in a little while and uh, could really use a nice warm cup of water. Okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I think you walk into the into the galley right and where you were going in just trying to find like a place to get hot water right Basically. but i think you go in there and there's a um one of the members of the crew is there kind of i think doing the dishes right mm. but he stands and, and he kind of sees you and says oh, no lieutenant hines uh, can i get you anything uh, i'm gonna salute him uh, actually john yeah. let me ask um yeah would everybody on the ship be would folks be in, in the fleet like would the would this person re- is this person on in the fleet? Yeah, yeah. So I, I think that you would expect that if someone was in the fleet and was not your superior officer, right, that they would have saluted you, and he mm-hmm. does not. So I think mm-hmm. that you can infer that he's not in the fleet, actually. Okay, got it. Uh, no, I, uh, uh, I have a bad habit of wandering and ended up over here, but if you could point me to the mugs, I'll stay out of your way. Uh, no, let me grab you one. And he kind of reaches up to a, a shelf kind of above the 
the place where he's like dealing with the dishes. And I think it's kind of like, I'm sure there's some kind of like futuristic thing that cleans these and he's just kind of checking it and putting things away. Yeah. But he reaches up and grabs, I, I think it's just a very simple mug, but it has the Republic seal on it, right? And he, and he hands it to you. Uh, finding everything okay here? Doing great. Gotta tell you, uh, the amenities on a ship like this sure beat being out on the front line during the war. This is a, you know, as far as the fleet goes, this must be a pretty small ship compared to what you've seen. Small, but comfortable. I never served myself, but happy to be out here doing my part, at least. What brings you out on a, on a ship like this? How'd you end up here? Well, I uh, <laughs> never had uh, much luck as a, a cook back on Earth, but saw some openings on Ascension and decided to, you know, The Verge, that's where our, uh, all the opportunity is. That's what they said. Headed out here and uh, kind of bounced between some stuff. But uh, when I heard about the Minerva project and they were hiring, I decided to throw my hat in the ring. How are you liking it so far? Beats sitting in a back of a kitchen with no windows on a space station. Well, I've taken up a lot of your time and I'm sure you're used to uh, everyone clamoring to get the attention of the most important person of the ship. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, it's it's been a pleasure. I'll be sure to swing by again if I'm not too much of a bother. He just kind of nods and says, anytime I can get you a mug. Thank you. And uh, actually, if you could point me to some hot water. <laughs> yeah um he just kind of laughs and i think that we see the camera pan out as he takes the mug and uh starts pouring hot water into it so at this point i want to cut to nasir and mara uh so nasir what are you up to so i think i am like walking into the mess uh not necessarily like directly looking for Mara, but I think like I spot Mara once I walk in. Mm-hmm. Um, I just can I just interject here? Yeah, Mara Mara's sitting there. She's having food, um, and she's kind of just like in a moment, like in just in genuine disbelief at the absolute pleasantries Arno just spewed on this rando, <laughs> and the absolute disrespect that she is continually showed by him. So I think she's, uh, yeah, she's, she's definitely, yeah. So, yeah, so I think if, if you two are, or if Mara is sitting there and just you're walking in, do you want to describe what the, what the mess looks like and what you're kind of taking in as you sort of walk through these doors? Yeah. So the mess hall is right up at the front of the ship on this sort of middle level. Uh, and so it goes right into the nose of the ship and the, the, when you walk into the sort of double doors, the nose of the ship is a giant viewing window like it's sort of like a viewing dome for you to just be able to look out into open space so it's it's sort of like a breathtaking sight um and it's got like rows of like cafeteria tables sort of uh like probably two of them just so that like you've, it's got room for folks and on the like right hand wall there is what is like kind of looks like a little bit of a conveyor belt over like a like a kitchen counter uh where you can like and like a screen so you can like indicate what food you want and they can like come out because the the kitchen counter looks directly into the galley. So like if somebody is like grabbing their food from the conveyor belt system, they can like see and hear what's going on in the galley. And so I assume that Mara overheard Arno. Uh, I, Nasir doesn't know this, but I assume Mara overheard Arno while she was picking up her food. And I, I find her in a sort of state of like genuine shock. 
Hmm. Is that fair to say, Lauren? Yeah, no, that that's that's pretty much what I mentioned. Yeah. So when I walk over to you, where are you sitting? Just like at the edge of a table. I think that um, maybe she's kind of like, again, like just looking through the information that we have while kind of like absentmindedly eating, like not really paying attention to exactly what she's eating at that point. I walk over to where she's uh, sort of seated and I say, may I join you, Dr. Belova? Oh, uh, please. Yes, of course. Uh, As I take my seat, what kind of food is Mara eating? Is it like earth food she grabbed on Ascension Station or is she like eating synth crop food? I think actually on the ship um, there, it's probably just more like the kind of protein chunks or protein squares. So um, I I think she's actually going to... uh, look at Nasir and be like, um, I'm not sure if they have the kitchen uh, up and running yet, uh, but they do seem to have uh, a few morsels that you can find. Um, it does make me miss the well-developed palette of Ascension. Uh, I will smile and I will say like very sincerely, um, Miss Dr. Belova, I apologize if I um, caused you any discomfort when we were on Consus regarding the food. I I am genuinely such a, a, a fan and a respecter of your work. I, I, I never would have made it to The Verge if it, if it weren't for the work you and your team did. Uh, and I just, it never occurred to me that you, you might not have eaten the, the crops you developed. Oh, um, no, it, it was, uh, it, experience is the best teacher. Um, of course, different gastrointestinals get accustomed to their particular varietals and whatnot. So there was just a little bit of a disagreement between my microbes and the, um, material. Uh, <laughs> so I think she's, she's like definitely feeling awkward. So she's going to try yeah. to just blabble. Um, for what it's worth, I struggled with the food on Aventine for a few weeks before um, my microbes agreed with the material. Uh, I will say, um, in particular, the, the blapple crop was uh, was an interesting one. Uh, it presented some challenges uh, just because our, our water source seemed to be slightly more salinated than the crop could handle. Um, so I think, yeah, I think she's like, her eyes are just going to go wide. And then like, <laughs> I, I won't belabor the point here, but I think she's going to like, just like techno babble at you and be yeah. like, oh, that's fascinating to hear that when we rolled out the product, actually we use like a, like a, a tropical environment, blah, blah, blah. Like, I think she's just kind of like going to really out. engage with this. Yeah. 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 And she's going to, she's going to nerd out. Um, I think then she's going to ask on Aventine, did you, were you trained there or were you trained on Earth and then um, translated your skills into a novel planetary environment? Uh, I attended Carnegie Mellon uh, and uh, got a degree in civil engineering. My my work, uh, I, I left for Aventine when I was very young. Um, so all of my real world experience 
And I think when I say real world experience, you can like see like a real, like a smile on my face that is like laughing at myself. Mm -hmm. Like there's like a genuine like humor over the young man I used to be. All of my, uh, my, my real world experience. I, I, I got on Aventine. I, I learned pretty much everything I knew, uh, there. I will say you get better at solving problems (laughs) when if you don't solve them, people don't eat. Uh, though I suspect there are very few people in the galaxy who understand that the way you do, Dr. Belova. And she's going to look like very deeply in your eyes and say, I, I do understand. The earth is the source of all of our greatest questions, and she will give us all of the answers that we need. So I think at that point, then maybe we cut to Leela. So, so what, what is Leela up to? Leela's gone back to her her cabin, I guess. Um, and I think I described this previously, but she's kind of got art on the walls, uh, kind of stuck onto the, the walls so it feels a little more homey. And um, she's actually going to have, I guess I'll say um, she she actually sets up an easel and and has a canvas on it and is um, is painting um, a scene. So she's kind of got it set up in, in one corner of the room and, and is kind of working on it. And then she'll stop, kind of go back to, to reference a picture or something like that um, and then come back. So what she's working on is is a scene of um, Ascension Station um, and okay. is kind of based on some of the. Um, pictures that she took um, over the past couple days, just kind of partially of the station itself and then looking out into um, the expanse of the space or of space. And how far along is the painting? Yeah. So I think uh, she's kind of kind of got the the basics of it sketched out and then is kind of going in with, um, you know, she's got some layers of, of underpainting in, but hasn't really started on, on the meat of, of it yet. Um, but she's kind of starting to, to get more co- contemplative and, uh, and just sort of maybe taking a little bit longer and, and being a little more deliberate about, um, kind of things she does and, you know, kind of just a lot of it is just kind of her standing there just, you know, with a paintbrush in her hand, just kind of staring at, at the canvas. Okay. I think maybe as you're doing that, I think maybe it's time for another flashback then for Leela. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I think, you know, as she's kind of going more into her own head, uh, I think she's just kind of thinking back to the first time that she ever actually experienced indexing or, or you know, being in the landscape. So, okay. Yeah, yeah. So I think this is actually like right after that first scene that we showed then with Mickey. Yeah. So it's in her office. Okay. So I think what we get then, maybe it's kind of like we see like a close up of your face and you're kind of holding the the brush, mm-hmm. sort of contemplating where to place your next stroke on this canvas. And we kind of cut away and see your eyes kind of like blinking rapidly and they're kind of coming into focus. And I think it, it kind of feels for you, Leela, like you just woke up and everything's kind of a little hazy at first. Mm-hmm. But as you're kind of coming to and taking in your surroundings, uh, you find yourself in a oval shaped room 
uh, maybe 30 feet across on its longest side. The center of the room is filled by um, a sort of collection of small tables uh, and a few large, comfortable chairs. But the walls of this room seem entirely covered by tall wooden bookcases, along with three of those kind of like rolling library ladders uh, that are spaced around the room's circumference. And as you sort of wipe your eyes and are beginning to take in the space, uh, the last thing that you remember was being inside Mickey's office. But now you see her slowly walking along the bookcases and kind of studying the collection. And as her eyes kind of dart along the shelves, she stops, picks up a book, and places it carefully into one of the two smaller shelves near the center of the room, on top of which is a Newton's Cradle, which is that toy with a kind of series of metal balls hanging down from a frame, and which is slowly clicking back and forth. So what does Leela do as she kind of takes in this scene? So I think she's going to, you know, as you said, kind of, feel like she's she's uh, waking up maybe and and just kind of getting her bearings. She's maybe even a little scared, not um Yeah, sure. you know, not like for her life or anything, but just sort of like this is a totally different place than uh than where she was moments ago. So, I think she's just kind of going to sit there and just try to take everything in and um and maybe just kind of watch what uh what Mickey's doing with yeah. organizing the books. So I think if that's if you're kind of reacting that way, I think that Mickey kind of and maybe she, I don't even think she has to turn to look at you and just kind of intuits your mm-hmm. your concern and, and your apprehension. Um, and she says, this is what we call the landscape, Leela. It's a space that each practitioner of indexing can create and can share with others through our technique. So I think Leela's going to kind of maybe get her courage up a little bit and and kind of mm-hmm. put on a front and just be like, so now that you brought me here, is this where you change my mind and control me? Um, she kind of laughs, I think, <laughs> and uh, just says, uh, it's nothing like that, Leela, and just kind of continues looking at the, the bookshelves on the side of the room and maybe like pulling halfway, pulling out a book and putting it back. Uh, But she says, in the landscape, each person just expresses themselves. It's a way that then we can communicate without the restrictions of the real world. Each landscape allows for a different form of expression. For me, it's about building the perfect collection of books. For you, well, maybe we can find that perfect space that you wanted to paint in, Leela. But... Within the landscape, whether it's me or it's you, each person can express themselves more fully. You get to pick your own stories. I just get to find out what you picked. And she, I think with that, kind of pulls out another book and puts on the little bookcase that's by one of the chairs. Okay. I think uh, Leela's going to kind of take a second to to digest all of that and then just kind of say, so this is, so you built this. This is your, this is your mind. This is what you see. It's one choice I've made. 
I think Leela at this point is going to actually take time to examine like the room itself. Up until now, she's been pretty focused on on what Mickey's doing. She's just going to kind of take in the the size of the room and and just kind of seeing all these books and all these shelves and and kind of it's going to relax a little bit and and kind of get up and and um I think her curiosity is is getting the best of her at this point so she's going to go over to to what Mickey's doing or or just try to kind of see exactly what Mickey's doing with with the books that she's moving around many times when turn to indexing and turn to this space it's because someone finds themselves at a crossroads in their life they have to make a decision that could impact the path forward there's a lot of contexts for this but i think this could be one of those moments for you leela you know we talked about it in terms of finding your perfect space and i wonder if in the landscape through this practice maybe we could find that for you but well, whatever it is, it starts with a choice, and maybe we can, again, start smaller. If you could have any book in the world, Leela, to put toward your collection, what would that first one be? Um, I Is there, like, an empty shelf or something? Um, where, yeah. Yeah. So I think in the center of the room, to describe that a little bit more, there's... The, a couple of sort of large, and again, I imagine those like like overstuffed, like very comfortable chairs, right? Mm-hmm. And they're unlike the shelves that are kind of all very tall in the walls and running sort of floor to ceiling. In the center, there's kind of a two waist height bookcases facing each other, right? And one of them is mostly already full, and that's the one that uh, that Mickey's been adding books to. And then there's another one across from it that's completely empty. Okay, so I think um, Leela's going to kind of intuit that the empty bookshelf is is hers, and she's just going to sit down in the chair that's that's next to it and just kind of look at it for a second and just kind of think. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think that kind of when she chooses a book, does it just kind of appear, or does it like? Hmm. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's. Uh, I'm wondering if it's maybe it's not even fully conscious, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So maybe it's like you're just walking along the shelf or looking okay. along the shelf if you're sitting down, and maybe just something catches your eye, sort of in a mass of books where the rest of them it's kind of hard to make out. Okay. Yeah. So then maybe she doesn't. Maybe she doesn't sit down. Um, I think she just sees that empty bookshelf, knows that it's hers. And then is maybe just kind of lets her eyes roam across all of the bookshelves on on the walls. And then I think as as she's looking, there is kind of maybe all the other books on the shelf are kind of more darker, deeper tones. Um, and then there's one with kind of like a brighter, maybe like a, a light gray uh, that kind of mm-hmm. sticks out um, and, and catches her eye. So I, th- I think that Mickey kind of sees you eyeing it and sort of walks up to where you are and takes the book out. And what what do we see on the cover? Like, what does it say? So it's it's going to be, it's a pretty um, thin book. Um, and it's on the cover, it's going to say Powell and Other Poems uh, by Allen Ginsberg. Okay. So I think she takes the book out and kind of looks at it and says, our lives are 
filled with choices, Leela. Some of them insignificant, others life-changing. But each choice that we make is only as good as our understanding of ourselves at the time that we make it, Leela. What you choose to do with that knowledge, what you choose to do with your understanding of yourself, that's entirely up to you. But each of it starts with one act of expression, the first stroke in a painting. And where that stroke goes, right now that's up to you. And she kind of offers the book out to you. Okay. I think Lila's going to take the book and maybe flip through it for a second. And I actually think Mm -hmm. it would be Wolf that this is actually the same copy that Lila actually owns in the real world. So as she's flipping through it, it's got like her underlines and, you know, the pages folded, um, the the ones that she she wanted to save. So so she kind of flips through it and, and sees all of that and then just kind of walks over to the the bookshelf that that she knows is is hers the empty one and um I think she kind of looks up to Mickey a little questioningly um but then uh, you know seeing Mickey kind of encouraging her on uh she's just going to take the book and um put it on the shelf yeah so I, th- I think we kind of see you slide the book onto the bookshelf and I think then we kind of cut back and you're standing back in front of the painting and you're in your room holding the brush in your hand. Hey everyone, it's Mo. Thank you so much for listening to Worlds Away. This game has been a blast to play and it has been wonderful to get to share the story with you. If you're enjoying Worlds Away so far, you can help us out by spreading the word to friends and family. Uh, And if they are starting to get annoyed with the fact that you keep talking about us, that's okay. That means you're doing it right. Uh, You can also support us by giving us a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any other platform where you listen to podcasts. Uh, And if you want to give us a shout out on social media, you can find us on most platforms at Worlds Away Pod or online at WorldsAwayPod.com. Thanks again for listening. And now back to the episode. So, at the start of the third day of the trip, Captain Alba summons you to the bridge for the kind of approach into Satis. And as the blue glow kind of disappears from the windscreen and the ship drops out of fast and light travel, uh, we see two bright lights off to the left side of the ship. And so, Nasir, I want to ask you this. How do you react to seeing two suns in the sky for the first time since leaving Aventine? I think my vision goes like a thousand yards, like a thousand miles away. Mm -hmm. And I just start like humming to myself. (laughs) 
And like, I am just staring a thousand yards away, humming. So growing larger in the middle of your view is a uh, sort of blue and white sphere, this third planet in the Satis system. Uh, it looks like most of the surface is kind of covered by clouds at any given time. But where the cloud cover breaks, you can make out the deep blue of oceans, along with occasionally seeing gray-green masses of land sort of breaking through that cover. And as the ship passes through the atmosphere and the, the glow of the heat of entry dies down, you see that the terrain is largely made up of these geometric patterns of dark gray volcanic rock, very occasionally topped by patches of green. The Valiant gets closer to the ground, and uh, you begin to follow a, a valley carved into the rocks. And after a few minutes of this, you can see a few buildings and structures down at the bottom of the valley, sort of too small to make out. But then you can see a, a massive dam in front of you, spanning the full width of the valley, kind of holding back a reservoir higher above its base. The dam seems to be largely built of concrete, but the face is also covered in blue-silver metalwork in a pattern of overlapping vertical waves, reflecting brightly from a series of lights that were placed along the edges of the valley. Off to your left, at the edge of the reservoir, you see a metal city rising up from the ground. The buildings that you can see all have smooth edges, kind of reflecting back the blue-gray of the sky. And it seems like all of the structures that you see and even the walkways and the roads are being held up by these large metallic stilts, uh, sort of elevating them off of the uneven rocks below. And at this point, as, as the Valiant kind of slows uh, from the pilot seat, Lieutenant Ride turns back to Yumara and says, Ms. Belova, I was wondering if, well, did, did you want to land the Valiant? Assuming that that's all right with you, Captain. And Captain Alva kind of turns to face you, Mara. Uh, oh my. Um, it's a few more engines than I'm used to, but uh, I think I could give it a shot. Um, so I think when you say that, Captain Alva says, they trained you on this type before you came here, right? <laughs> Did they? Um... Uh, well, you tell me. Yeah, I, I think Mara will just then just nod and okay. walk over to the captain's chair. To the to the pilot seat at the yeah, front? Yeah. Or, yeah. So, yeah. So you, I think she stands up and, and you sit down. She says, your control. Yeah, I think um, she's just going to like take a minute to take everything in mm -hmm. and then just be like valiant requesting uh approach docking code yeah and then she'll like reiterate off whatever she's told flip the switches yeah. grab the handle and uh and land this bird yeah okay so yeah i think i think you get a message back like sort of giving you landing clearance and you know we see kind of uh like a heads up display in front of you and you kind of see like a glide path that's leading down to a elevated landing pad at the edge of the city um and and a bunch of numbers kind of ticking down like showing the distance and the altitude right mm -hmm. but okay so at this point though i think i do want you to roll to oh, see great. how well you do at 
landing the yes. valiant for the first time. <laughs> Jesus. And and I, I think, you know, we had talked about this a little bit about these kind of two different sides of Mara, right? And we had talked about about how like calculating kind of represents one of these influences on you. And in the last episode, we saw this scene with your uncle and this mm-hmm. other side that's more based on instinct. And so yeah. my instinct is to have you roll act quick, which uses slick to make this uh, to determine how the the valiant rolls. But I'm open to arguments or suggestions. Uh, it's weird because like slick is like act quick or manipulate. I guess it's yeah. like if you're taking these as all like a like a web, right? Uh, yeah. I might say it's more like stalwart, which is like a keep, oh, okay, like, like keep your cool and assist. Yeah. Um, okay. I like that. That I could also work have too. A plus one is stalwart, so yeah. I just want to no, like no. reveal my biases. <laughs> <Yeah>. no, <laughs> no, no, no. That's fair. No, but I think that that makes a lot of sense here. I think it's like okay, like you're in this pressure situation yeah. and got to. I mean, it's like keeping your cool, right? It's kind of exactly what it says. So yeah. Yeah. So go I, ahead I think and... she probably anticipated like maybe like once or twice taking over. Maybe as yeah. even like a show of like a oh look at like the Minerva Project. We have Doctor Mara Belova like you know, photo shoot flying the plane or something. But yeah, yeah, I, think, I sure. think this is, like, very interesting. And, like, there's definitely something instinctual in her that, like, kicks in. Um, yeah. But it's like a, a like a settling. It's not like a blood raise, like, kind of uh, a fervor. It is it is a def- different type of common understanding. But uh, with that... Yeah, you would roll plus stalwart. Okay. Let's roll this bad boy. Ooh, that is nine. a nine. Okay, nine's pretty good. You know, okay. she can't knock it out of the park in the first try. That's just too yeah. OP. I want her to be relatable. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I think this is good. I think this is narratively Fans, good. Fans, this is you. You can. In- this is this uh, the 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 self insert. She we was don't so relatable with the blapple too. I mean, really, that's what endears us all. To <laughs> yeah, blapple. So keep so keep her cool. <laughs> so when you attempt to keep her cool under pressure or endure hardship, you roll plus stalwart. On a 10 plus, you do it, but on a 7 to 9, you have to choose one. And that's either you have disadvantage going forward, you suffer one stress, or you give up something, leave something behind, or take something with you, and I'll say what? I think she's going to suffer a stress here. Okay, yeah, yeah. I, I and, think what is, that, yeah. She's and what does that look like? Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, the last time we came into orbit and we were flanked by, like, fighter ships, and then yeah, came yeah. out and we were like, hey, uh, we might murder you. Uh, sit tight uh, until you talk to our boss. And so I think she's <laughs> like thinking about that. And I also think that the idea of the ghost ship comes into her mind. And mm-hmm. when she was almost killed and how instantaneous. And I think there's just like a like she's definitely trying to keep it together. And I think she succeeds. Um, and, and mm-hmm. you know, landing the ship without murdering us all because that would that would be rough. Um, but I yeah. definitely think that, like she, her brain goes back to that moment where where everything, everything changed. Yeah, I think it's like we see the ship lowering and kind of probably from the the jets. Like there's a lot of sort of dust or wind being blown up in front of the the windscreen, kind of all around the ship, and then we feel it kind of settle down onto the ground. There's like a shutter as the the landing pads kind of uh, take grip of the the platform. And I think we kind of see a shot of Captain Alba who's standing on this elevated, that elevated platform at the back of the bridge. And we kind of see her hands loosen from the mm-hmm. railing of it. And it's kind of had a, a little bit white knuckle from that. Um, and as the kind of dust clears, we see out the windscreen standing on the landing pad. There is 
a woman in a neatly tailored suit and she's kind of holding a, a large slate in her arm wrapped in a portfolio that she was sort of holding up to shield her face from the wind. Uh, but we see her kind of like waving at the Valiant through the windscreen and, and kind of uh, heading up to you to welcome you. So do you all uh, head out the ship at this point or any conversation before you do that? Mm, nope. All right. Oh, so uh, oh, at this point. OK, so let me ask you this. How do you get down to the ground? Because I think there's one of two ways this could happen. One is they could bring up some kind of stairs to the airlock, which is kind of how we've gotten in and out of the Valiant so far. Or two is you could go down through the vehicle bay in the left. The vehicle bay. Okay. Mm. Is that, uh, yeah, I'm getting some nods here. So I think that that's, yeah. So in the, um, so in the vehicle bay, we talked about this kind of centerpiece of that being this hydraulic lift. And so I think we see as this woman who's outside the ship kind of walks up, we see from below this kind of rectangular portion of the bottom of the valley and just starts descending down to the ground level. And the four of you are standing on this uh, on this kind of uh, platform blowing down. What, what are you all like looking like or what's is everyone? Do we think that there's some kind of standard Minerva Project uniform or what's, what's everyone like wearing right now? I want there to be jackets. <laughs> OK, I do think there are. I was about to say the exact same thing. I don't think there are uniforms. Yeah. I think there are jackets. Yeah, okay. I don't I don't want us to be fash, but if we could have some fash drip. Because they yeah. know how to dress. Fashion, <laughs> not fascist. Yeah. Or maybe a little column A, a little column B. Yeah. Not, oh, not no. ideologically, just the buttons and the collars and the shoulders. They got. They know what's going on. I feel like that's more Arno's drip. I'd like but... to make a proposal on the jackets and just hear yeah. what people think. So they're uh, like a deep purple with a little bit of blue in them, like almost like a space sky. They come over from like the left side, but instead of like zipping at the center, they like come like almost three quarters of the way across the chest. Mm. Uh, They have the mission patch over the heart of the Minerva project. And then like on the sleeve, uh, just sort of like right above the cuff. They're just monogrammed Uh, with your names. So it's like, so it's like, L-T-A-H Doctor <laughs> Like D-R-M-B And then it just N-B and L-M And I, I That's what that's my, my vision for them I also think the inside Though is like a very Slick Silver lining Like literally a silver Cupro. lining Cupro or yeah. silk No polyester So I think Arno is not wearing that jacket And sees the three of you in there and is like Looks at you and is like, oh, you were serious about the jackets. <laughs> I think I think we were Amazing. Just, just gonna say you have to admit they're pretty cool. They add a sort of ambiance, um a je ne sais quoi, <laughs> but perhaps you're more comfortable wearing that. I think when she says that. Uh, Nasir's eyes like flick to the side and give him a once over uh, uh-huh. and he just sort of like straightens his collar like I straighten my collar and you mm-hmm. can see like my nails are the exact color of the jacket <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think I think with that we kind of see the plat. Maybe, maybe that happens first and then we see the platform mm-hmm. kind of go down to the ground um, 
and th- this woman kind of is like walking forward to to greet you and is waving and, and i think at this point we kind of get a get a better look at her so she has light skin gray brown eyes uh and a, a sort of thin neutral smile and long sort of medium blonde hair that's tied back in a ponytail and again she's holding this uh this sort of portfolio that presumably has a, a large slate in it. Um, and as she walks up to you, she says, wow, it's, it is just really great to ha- have you here on Satis. It's so honored to welcome you here. My name is Sydney Gladwell, special assistant to the council. And she goes to, to shake all of your hands. Uh, do, do you all shake her hand mm-hmm. back? Or? Yep. Yep, sure. Even Arna this time? Or? Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Um, there's there's so no gun pointed at us so yes absolutely <laughs> yeah um so she says the council chair is is waiting to meet you now but if there's anything else you need before we head out mm, lead the way sydney excellent follow me then so she sort of leads you up a series of steps and onto one of these sort of elevated metal roadways and so just kind of describing the city a little bit more it's like everything is being lifted off by these stilts off of the kind of these like volcanic rocks that make up seemingly the entire terrain here on Satis. And it's just like kind of too unstable for there to be structures sort of resting directly on the bottom. So like the whole city is kind of slightly hovering off the ground or held up by these, not hovering, but, but held up by these sort of Mm -hmm. metallic uh, stilts or pillars. And so we get these like sidewalks are kind of at different like levels right so you, you might have you know something lower to the ground and then sort of hovering above that another walkway so as you kind of are led through the city anything in particular that you're checking out or any conversation that you want to have i think um mara is going to like kind of awkwardly kind of maybe like clasping and unclasping her hands uh yeah. fall in beside nasir okay and i think she's going to say nasir after our conversation in the mess, I went to go look up your publication history, and I discovered that your husband uh, passed away during the war. It must be such a terrible loss to not have him and for him to be deceased. Um... Um, oh man so i (laughs) i think when as soon as i hear your husband my face goes on and i'm just like the war cost a lot of people their families um i appreciate your condolences but I'm I'm just one of the people who lost family to the war. It's uh and I look at her and I'm like, it's one of the reasons I'm such a firm believer in our mission. I would actually like to use one of my moves. Oh, oh no. okay. Uh what's the move? <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> uh so You fucked up, Mara. <laughs> my move is of the people. When oh. you make a person feel like they share a real connection with you, roll plus slick. On a 10 plus, you get a good read on them. Choose three. On a seven to nine, choose one. Uh, okay. So Fascinating. 
I would like to get a read on Mara, see what she's like clocked or whatever. Oh, mm. interesting. Like, does she suspect anything you're saying? I'm, I'm in political mode. Like the second I heard I'm I'm on razor's oh, yeah, edge yeah. about my husband. Uh, okay. about Mateo and so like I heard her say that and I went into like I'm operating right. like this I'm no longer yeah what, what's funny is that the the next thing that she says as you're walking is I bet you <sighs> I bet you would give anything to see him again <laughs> so yeah I think go ahead and, and roll then Mo. Uh, plus like all right i also get a plus it's plus slick so there we go so it's a nine okay so i so just you get, get one yeah oh. what does so, he get yeah yeah so let me so of the let me read the move so yeah. of the people and this is one of the the custom moves that mm-hmm. we made for the icon playbook so it says when you make a person feel like they share a real connection with you roll plus slick on a seven to nine, you get one hold, and during your interaction with them, you can spend your hold one for one to ask their player, so that would either be me if it's an NPC or one of you, one of the following questions. And the list is, is your character telling the truth? What is your character truly feeling? What does your character intend to do? How could I get your character to blank? And what does your character wish I would do? So my read here is, what is your character truly feeling? Like, I want to know what Mara is really feeling. In this moment. That's perfect. Um, I think that Nasir intrinsically understands when that when she says that last line that she's not talking about Nasir. She's talking about herself. And although, right, like the dramatic irony here is that your husband is in fact alive. You could tell that Mara like stumbled onto this great truth. Like she's not very politically savvy that's never been her bent and something about this like finding this and then also something about like the ship and getting onto the ship and everything that's happened is like struck a chord and brought up something in her that is like deeply motivating and it like rests rests heavy in her in her heart in her soul so i think reading that in your line of see anything to see him again i will say and this is the first time I will address anyone as not their title. Hmm. I appreciate that, Mara. I appreciate that a lot. We're going to do right by them. Yes. And she's going to look up at the two sons. Yeah. <laughs> um. Okay, Lauren, just make me feel things. <laughs> 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 man um so I, I think that sydney gladwell this the special assistant sort of continues leading you through these walkways and eventually you reach a more open space in the city where a bunch of these elevated walkways kind of converge and it almost looks like an interchange on a highway um, and at the center of this space is a, a large building with a metal and glass facade. The front of the building is curved back and it almost looks like it's the reverse of the shape of the dam that you saw flying in. And the surface of the building is so reflective that it almost feels like you're walking into the sky as you approach the front of the building. And so 
through the front doors, you enter a kind of large open lobby. But even though this building seems to be the center of power on Satis, there's still a, a modesty to it. And I, I think we even see off to one side, there's like an exhibit of children's art. So it's maybe like a painting made out of handprints or something like that, that this is like what they decided to display um, in this this kind of seat of government uh, here on, on Satis. And she ushers you inside and Sydney kind of leads you up this curved stairway that circles the atrium. And, and as you're heading up the stairs, you kind of like strikes up conversation and says, so I, I, I came to Satis with my mother uh, when I was 14 years old. I was <laughs> not, not at all happy about it at the time. But as I grew up, I really fell in love with it here. My mom actually moved back to Earth three years ago, but I decided to, to stick it out. You know, things were hard here during the war uh, throughout the entire Verge um, and really most places worse than here. But there have always been people who wanted to leave the Republic to isolate ourselves. But Satis, it's always been about building something together as a collective. And well, if that works here on this planet, uh, (laughs) I don't see why that shouldn't work for all of us for our bigger project. And she's kind of like genuinely smiling at this point and but then kind of like blushes a little bit and says, sorry, I just get kind of carried away with all this sometimes. But I started working for the council here right after I finished school and and Cherry Eastling has been like a father to me. I know that you came out here when tensions are high, but I really hope that you have a chance to see Satis how I know it as well. Uh, I think Leela's just going to like be genuinely kind of listening along as she's saying all mm. of that and uh and just kind of say that's a lovely thought uh sydney thank you for for sharing that I, i'm excited to 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 meet the people of status who have built so much yeah i think she kind of again is still blushing a little bit and has an embarrassed look but but nods at that so she continues to lead you up this stairway as kind of, again, like circling the atrium and you get to the third floor and she takes you down a short hallway and into a small meeting room. And there's a kind of round wooden table in the middle. The room is, is pretty well lit by a series of tall windows running along the right wall. And as you walk in, sort of rising from a seat at the table, you see a man who's probably in his early 90s. Though, again, he looks like a bit younger than what you'd expect for that age in our time. He has pale skin, thinning gray-white hair, and blue eyes that are just like completely surrounded by wrinkles. But he flashes a friendly, closed-mouthed smile at you when you walk in and just gives off this unshakable feeling of warmth and optimism. And he says, I'm Herman Eastling. So nice to meet you for. And thank you so much, Sydney. And kind of nods at her. Um, and, and he goes up to shake all of your hands. Of course, we were hoping it was under better circumstances, but I think I fairly speak for the people of Satis when I say how good it is to have the Republic here again and showing what we can do when we work together. Well, I, for one, think it's exceptional you guys aren't shooting at us. <laughs> was that a, a problem you've been having? Uh. We had some run-ins with malfunctioning security devices. I'm sure you've seen the statements uh, coming out of CONSIS by Administrator Leclerc. Um, we we helped them uh, resolve that issue as as, as well as some um, workers' disputes. Uh, so you know we're here for uh, all kinds of help. 
well, I'm hopeful that nothing like that will befall you on Satis. And and again, anything that we can do to support your work and your mission, that is my number one objective. I should also introduce you to my colleague, Counselor Randall Lawrence, who is responsible for public safety here on Satis. Um, and at this point, Eastling kind of gestures toward a man that's staring out the window. Uh, and it kind of, he, he's like looking out very focused out this window and it kind of takes him a second after hearing his name to turn around. Uh, but, but then he turns to face you. He has deep, dark brown skin, a clean shaved head, and a short, very neatly trimmed beard kind of framing his sharp face. And he says, nice to meet you as well. But as Cherry Eastling said, I do wish you were here where things were less troubling. Regarding the reactor, it was moments from blowing before a pair of our engineers was able to stop it. When we got the call, I went down there to investigate personally. At first, it wasn't obvious what I was looking at, but after they pointed it out, it was unmistakable. The controller for the reactor bleed valve had been cut clean off, and there's no way that that could have happened by accident. I think Lila's going to just say, who do you suspect is responsible? He kind of just scoffs and says, I don't have a name I can pin on it yet, but, well... We tried to pull camera footage, but everything from the previous day seems to have been wiped. If there's anyone that's motivated enough to do something like this, it's the folks who are upset with the direction that Satis is going. And who exactly is that? Are they against the Republic? Pro-independence? You can say that. And then Herman Eastling, the, the chair, kind of jumps back in and says, Randall has been quite upset by what's been happening here lately, and given this, fairly so, I might add. But it's my hope that we can find a solution to all this without escalating things or making matters worse. Well, I and most of Satis have a very favorable view of the Republic. There are some here who feel very strongly about the future of Satis and the question of rejoining, but the armistice was wise in how it says that we'll choose our next steps. And while the debate may get heated at points, the people of Satis have always found a way to resolve their disagreements and move forward together. So then what's there to be upset about? Well, we've always been able to land in a cooperative posture. Sometimes the route of debate can get a bit messy. And I think as he says that, you actually start to hear a growing louder noise out from the street. And... I think that Randall Lawrence, the guy that was standing in front of the window, kind of turns back around and his head snaps. And you hear Sidney Gladwell, who's the assistant who brought you up, says, oh, no. And out the window, traveling across one of the walkways that kind of extends over a canal that runs through the center of the city, we start to see a crowd of maybe 100 people. Some of them are carrying large posters and all of them seem to be chanting something that's impossible to make out. And while they're still a ways away, I think you can, looking out the window, read the text on at least two of the posters. One that says, cooperation equals republic power grab. And cooperation is in quotes. And then another, which is a bit more simple, simply says, fuck off Minerva Project. <laughs> oh, yeah. Economical with their language. <laughs> 
so Randall Lawrence at this point lets out a sort of muted scoff and he says, I suppose it was only a matter of time before you met the newest member of the council. And, <laughs> and b- back out the window, um, standing near the front of the crowd, we see a woman with light brown skin and bright metallic pink hair that goes just down to her shoulders. She's wearing a dark green jacket over a simple white shirt and is holding a small megaphone in her hand. And as you look down out the window, this woman turns from the crowd to stare toward the windows of the council hall. And as her gaze rises up to meet yours, we see her face change from what was a serious, determined look to slowly become a wide, glowing smirk. Yes, queen. Thank you.